Well, I want to welcome our campuses. We are one church with three campuses, three locations. We have a Darrington campus, we have a Missouri City campus, and we have a Sugarland campus. And I'm going to tell you, in August, we'll be one church in four locations because Richmond Rosenberg will be open. And it's just amazing what God is doing. He is a way maker. He is a miracle worker, and we are seeing the power of God in our church. Yea, God, for what he is doing here. Now, I have been all these years a hand shaker. On an average Sunday, seriously, I would probably shake 200 people's hands. I am a hand shaker, but I'm not a hand shaker now. We're changing things because we got a little problem going on in the country and the world, as you probably noticed. So now I am a fist bumper and I am an elbow knocker. Now, there are some people that are actually kicking each other. I don't think that's going to really work out that well, but that's what's going on these days right now. And I'm encouraging you to, 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 to change the handshaking thing. And the reason is because of the coronavirus, one of the big ways in which it is being communicated to other people is by shaking hands. And I like shaking hands, but here's what I got to thinking. I got to thinking that I could shake somebody's hand in the second service and then shake somebody's hand in the first service and the person in the second service has the virus and I'm giving it to somebody in the third service. So I got to stop that. So that's where I'm at. These are great days, and these are good, wonderful challenges, and God's going to show himself great in the midst of all of them. So don't be afraid. Good grief, don't be afraid. We have a God in heaven. A few years ago, uh, there was a story that came out of a couple that are in, uh, are in, uh, Pittsburgh, uh, in Pennsylvania, not sure what town in Pennsylvania, but a couple in Pennsylvania, and they deposited a check into the checking account for $1,772.50. And then they went home and they looked online, making sure everything got deposited properly, but the bank put the decibel point in the wrong place. And it looked like, and they got credited for, 177000 yes, $250, and you're thinking, oh God, if only it could be me. And that's what they were thinking, oh yay God. And so what they did is they hurried and got in their car and drove all the way to the bank, and they closed their account and got all their money out of the bank, including the $177,000. And then they both quit their jobs and they moved to Florida. I don't get the last part. This is the 21st century, folks. They can hunt you down anywhere. You cannot get away in this century. And so they found them in a few weeks. They found them, and uh, they had to pay back all the money, and now they are in big trouble. And the question was asked, the guy, his name was Randy, why did you do this? And he said, because when I saw that 177000 I thought this was a gift from God. <laughs> and so you ran? This was a gift from God. Randy needs some new theology. There's another story, and uh, this was a great story. came out just a few weeks ago. 
There's a guy in Michigan, his name is Howard Kirby, and he bought a couch at the Habitat for Humanity Restore. Went there, got, bought the couch, got it home, and uh, he loved the couch, and he sat down on the couch, and he said, when I sat down on the couch, I thought, it's, it's lumpy. I didn't notice this in the store. Uh, it, th- there's something wrong with the couch. It's lumpy. So he pulled out the cushion, and he dug inside, and inside was $43,000. This was the greatest couch sale of all time. So he was thanking God because this is his couch now, and that means anything in the couch is his. And so this money actually did. This was his. And he was thinking about it and praying about it, and he started thinking maybe this $43,000 belongs to a guy that really desperately needs it. Maybe this, I, I, he came to a conclusion he had to hunt down the owner the previous owner. And he did. He hunted down the previous owner and he discovered that the person who owned it before was an elderly man who had now died. But he, all the money he had in the world, all the money he had in the world was that 43,000 that he had kept safely in that couch. And he had intended to give that as the only inheritance he could give to his only child, a daughter. And when Howard Kirby learned the story, he contacted the woman and he gave her the $43,000. And this is a picture of that moment when he gave her that money. And Howard Kirby Kirby said, look, I needed a new roof. And that money could have bought the new roof. And he said, I'll get a new roof. He said, I'm never going to forget the look on her face when I gave to her her inheritance from her dad. And he said, that will always be one of the treasured memories of my life. What a great story that is, isn't it? This morning, I want to talk to you about letting our money change us for good. And it's coming from James chapter 1, verse 9 to 11. And listen to what James says. Christians who are poor should be glad, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should be glad, for God has humbled them. They will fade away like a flower in the field. The hot sun rises and dries up the grass. The flower withers and its beauty fades away. So also wealthy people will fade away with all their achievements. Now, in this passage, here is James talking about there are rich Christians and there are poor Christians. And the truth is, compared to the other people in the world, every one of us are rich. I've been to 14, 15 different countries in mission trips. I've been to other countries and non-mission trips, but I've been to 14, 15 countries in mission trips, and some of those places more than once, several times. And what I have seen, I have been astounded by the deep poverty, the deep poverty in other countries all over the world. I've been amazed by it. In one of the countries that I went to, and several times, 
the mission trip was to the city dump. We went specifically to go to the city dump where a group of people live and they build their makeshift places they call a house out of just the refuge that they find in the dump. And every time a dump truck comes, they rush for the dump truck because when it dumps its load, they are going through all the trash trying to find something to eat. And every time we went back there, we built a house, a real house. We built a house and got permission to build the house in the city dump and welcome another family that lived in the city dump into their house. The poverty all over the world is, is shocking. I don't blame people for trying to get into this country. They need to come in legally, but I don't blame people for trying to get in this country. And if I was not in this country, I'd be trying to get here as fast as I could. And the very moment that my feet landed in the United States of America, I would head for Texas. I would. I would still be an OU Sooner fan. That would never change. If I were born and raised in Bangladesh, I'd have enough common sense to root for the Sooners. I would. And I get here, and I would still be rooting for the Sooners. But I'm going to tell you, I love Texas. I love living in Texas. I love it. Now, let me tell you this. It's baseball season, and this is my favorite time of the year. And I am a Texas Rangers fan, and I am also a fan of the Houston Astros. And I'm telling you, I know they messed up. I know they messed up, and I know that they apologized, but they didn't do a great job at it. But I have forgiven them, and I am going to be their fan this year. I'm going to be their fan next year, and the next year, and the next decade with the, Tex with the Texas Rangers and the Houston Astros. And none of that has anything to do with the sermon that I'm preaching today. So that's just free. What James is saying is, is that there are times in all of our lives in which we have more money than we need and times in our lives in which we don't have enough. That sometimes in our life we've got more than we need and other times we are struggling and that God has a purpose for both times. This is exactly what Paul was saying in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 12 when he said, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to be in plenty. And he goes on to say, and God has a purpose with both of these conditions and that is what I want to talk to you about today. The first thing that James teaches us that is that God has a distinct purpose for the times in which we have financial need. James chapter 1 verse 9, Christians who are poor should be glad, for God has honored them. In the first century, most of the people that were in the church were poor. In the first century, there were a handful of people that weren't poor, but most everybody else was poor. They were poor before they came to know Christ as Savior. They, got, they accepted Jesus in their heart, and they're still poor. 
And some people that came to know Christ, they had houses and they had businesses. And the moment they accepted Christ as their Savior, it was stripped from them. And they knew it was going to happen and they still gave their heart to Christ. And there are others who came to know Jesus as as their Savior, and they had possessions and a house and maybe a business, and they sold those things so that the people that were in the church could have enough to get by on. It's the most amazing, remarkable thing that happened in first century. And these are the people that James is writing to. The book of James is either the first or the second book written in the New Testament. This is the earliest of the early time of that church. And James is saying to them, look, thank God that you are poor because God has honored you in the midst of it. In fact, he says, God is saying to them and to us, if you're going through financial difficulties, then be glad. The word that is translated glad means to celebrate. And I have never seen anybody throw a party when they didn't have enough money to pay their bills. And they didn't do that in first century either. They struggled with this idea in first century too. Because in the first century, there was this common idea that people that have more money, it is obvious that God loves them more because he has given them more blessing. That God loves people who are wealthy more than people who are poor. And those who are wealthy obviously have greater faith than those who have very little. And there's a Greek word for all that teaching. It is baloney. It is absolute baloney. Those people that that believe in this, this whole financial prosperity thing prosperity gospel, they're dead wrong. This is not what the Bible teaches. God doesn't say that he wants all of us to be filthy rich. He doesn't say that he expects all of us, if we have enough faith, to have enough money. The Bible doesn't teach that, and several of the, of the parables of Jesus went right head to head with that issue and called it a lie. God does bless us when we obey him. He does give us uh, uh, times of, of miracles in our life. He does do that. He calls for us to trust him, and he does take care of us. But it was never his intention that all of us be filthy rich. If it were, and if there was some kind of, it's a sign, if I don't have a lot of money that maybe God's not doesn't love me as much and not as close to me and I don't have enough faith, then... Jesus must not have had any favor from God the Father because Jesus was impoverished. In fact, Jesus said his own words that that the foxes have their own holes and and the birds of the air have their own nests, but the Son of Man does not even have a place to lay his head, speaking about himself. And when Jesus was crucified on the cross, The only possessions he owned were the clothes on his body. No, it is a lie. That is not the whole idea. God doesn't love people who are wealthy more. He doesn't love people who are poor less. 
The truth is, God has a purpose and a plan for our lives, no matter where we are financially in our lives. And he wants to use these moments in our lives to be a blessing to our life. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 7 says, The Lord makes rich and the Lord makes poor. And God is, in bo- is involved with both. And both conditions that have come our way, God is expressing great love to us in both times. And this is what James is telling us. So, with this in mind, with this whole idea in mind, there are three key principles during the times in which we are experiencing financial hard times, financial hardships. There are three key principles that God wants us to learn. And the first one is this. A positive attitude in tough financial times comes by remembering that we already have been given much. We have all given, been given so much in our lives. Maybe this is a f- hard time financially in your life, but it doesn't mean God has forsaken you. He is not for, for, forsaken you. And this is a time that you need to step back and say, you know what? I have been given so much already. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. When we are following God, God be, being godly, when we are following God and we have come to the place of contentment in our life, we are experiencing great gain in our life. Contentment is almost un-American. It is almost a cuss word in America, to be contented. But contentment is the key to happiness. How is it that you can be happy? Do you want to know how to be happy in your life? Aren't you tired of being miserable? How is it that I can be happy in my life? The key to happiness is contentment. Godliness with contentment. And if you come to godliness and contentment, you are filthy rich. And this is what he is saying in this passage. Happiness is not getting whatever you want. Happiness is enjoying whatever you have. Learning how to enjoy what you have right now is the key to happiness in life. And I guarantee you this, if we cannot enjoy life when we have little, we will not be able to enjoy it when we have much. And there are some of you on all these campuses that are thinking, you are wrong about that. And I'm telling you, I'm not. I am right about this. If you and I cannot be contented with what we already have, we won't be contented when we get more. And you know how I know this? The, the, the uh, Barna Research Group did an extensive study on thousands of people. And here's what they discovered. Here's what they concluded at the end of their study. That the average American believes that if I could get between 8000 and 11000 more money, more dollars than I have right now, I will be happy. I just need between eight to 11,000 more dollars than I've got right now. And I'm going to tell you, I will be one happy camper. But they continued to study those individuals. And here's what they discovered. That within a few months, those same people that got eight to $11,000, within a few months after they did, they were saying, you know, if I could just get eight to $11,000 more dollars, boy, I'm going to be one happy guy. And here's what they discovered in the study. Most people will never get enough in order to be happy. Because here is the truth. 
Happiness isn't getting whatever you want. Happiness is enjoying what you already have. Contentment with godliness makes you filthy rich. God uses hard times to show us this truth so that we will learn to be contented and now finally happy. There's a second principle, a positive attitude in tough financial times comes when we choose to use hard times to trust God instead of ourselves. The key to faith is looking to God instead of looking to ourselves. And James says in James chapter 2 and verse 5, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? The truth is God uses money to get our attention because money gets our attention faster than any other thing. And so oftentimes God will let us go through hard financial days to grow us deeper and grow us faster. And that's why he uses money. In my wife Kathy and my marriage the first 10 years of our marriage, and it was the first 10 years of our ministry because we got married at the very same time that I became a pastor of a small church. In the first 10 years of our marriage, we could have applied for food stamps and gotten them. We just didn't know that. For the first 10 years of our marriage, our income was below the poverty line in America, and we didn't know it. We just knew there wasn't a lot of money. And so what happened to us in the first 10 years of our marriage is that we had to learn and learn quick. We didn't come from wealthy families, but we we both came from families that had plenty and more than they needed. And all of a sudden, here we are married, and we barely can get by. And three fantastic things happened to us. Three fantastic things that happened to us that have continued to bless us even to this day. The first was this. We learned how to manage our money using, in obedience, the principles from the book of Proverbs in the Bible. We began to read the chapter of Proverbs right early in our marriage. We began to read the chapter of Proverbs that corresponded with the day of the month. I shared about this two, two weeks ago about doing this and challenged you to do it. And we began early on to do that very thing. And so what happened is as we are reading the Proverbs that corresponded with the day of the month, we all of a sudden discovered we were stunned. So many biblical principles in the book of Proverbs about how to manage your money. The Bible is so practical. If we will give it a chance, we will be amazed by it. And we began to see all these practical principles about how to manage your money. We started writing these principles down. We we began to pray about, God, we want to be obedient to these money management principles. We started seeing money management principles all over the Bible. It started in the book of Proverbs. There were so many of them. But we found them in other places in the Bible, and we began to collect these. And these began to be the rules of money management in our home. And we began to learn as 
young adults, how to manage our money using biblical principles. And we still use them today. And it was in those, that time, those first 10 years, we had to use them or we wouldn't survive. There was a second thing that happened to us. We learned that God could overcome our shortage. We began to learn there really are miracles. I mean, we lived them one after another, after another, after another financially because we would come to a place using the money management principles that, the God, that God's Word gives to us, and we would still have a shortage, and we would pray and say, God, we have been obedient to you, and he could see that we had, and we saw God just give us money from sources we were stunned by. We told nobody, no one. But we started getting money in the mail. We would get, people would hand us money. We never asked for anything like that. They didn't know anything about what was going on inside our home. We started having so many money miracles. We were stunned by the provision of God. And we saw a God who is able to handle our shortfall by intervening miraculously in our life. And we saw it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. It was absolutely amazing, the stories that we began to collect in our lives. The third thing is we began to learn how to say no to our wants so that we could say yes to our needs and we didn't have any choice. It's amazing when you don't have any choices how faithful you can be. We learned how to say no to so many things and to turn our head from them so that we could say yes to the things that we had to have. And you know what happened to us? It began to be a blessing to our lives and to the point that we still have lived by that and we've been able, all of our marriage, to live under our means. Only because the first 10 years, we had to learn the hard way in order to survive. And we have been blessed. This is a blessing that keeps on blessing in our lives year after year after year. Just a few weeks ago, Kathy, out of the blues, just, we were just talking and she said, you remember when? And we went back in time when we saw the most amazing thing that God did. And these are stones of remembrance of the faithfulness of God that just keeps blessing our life. And here's what I'm saying to you. If we will grab hold of the money management principles of God, even when we're going through the worst of times, God will bless you and help you and He will intervene in your shortfall and He will show you how to say no to your wants and yes to your needs. And it will be transformational. And this is what James is saying. The most amazing thing will happen to you when you learn how to follow God. Here is the truth. We see so many of these guys. Well, what, let, me, let me give you your fill in the blank. When we are facing financial need and respond correctly, we're in a position to really learn to trust God and see God come through for us. There's so many people in the Bible that we are such great men and women of faith and we so admire them. But the truth is, if you look at their story, they didn't have a choice. They were between a rock and a hard place. And it was either believe in God, trust God, or die. And they chose God. And God came through for them. And he'll come through for you. The word faith means the trusting response to the revealed will of God. 
Faith is not a feeling. So many people think that faith is a feeling. I'm trying to build up my faith. I'm trying to get that feeling of faith. But faith is not a feeling. Faith is obedience. That's what faith is. Faith is expressing obedience. When God tells us to do something through his word and we obey even when we don't want to, we're still showing obedience. God, I'm going to do this. I don't like it. I wish I didn't have to do this, but I am going to do this. If it even comes to that, you do the right thing. You are exhibiting faith. And so here's a key truth I want you to remember. The way that God most often meets our daily needs is by blessing our obedience to his principles in regard to the money that he gives to us and then trusting God for the difference. When you obey God, you are growing and learning, and this is what James is saying. Hey, be glad when things are hard. This is the moment you will grow the deepest and the strongest. The second, the third principle is this. A positive attitude is in tough times can come by remembering that God uses those times to protect us from things that could be harmful to us. A study has been done of all the people who have won the lottery, big money. I'm not talking about little money, but big money have won the lottery. All these people, and won the sweepstakes. I don't know if there still are... I said it once, and then I can't... You know the thing? The sweet... You know what I'm talking about, and I don't have to say the word. So I don't know if they still exist, but the people that win the lottery, they did a study of all these people, and the most amazing thing came from the study. Listen to this. I know it's hard to believe. It's hard for me to believe. It's just that it's a reputable organization that did the study, and here's what they discovered, that in five years, those people who won big money on the lottery in five years, are in worse financial shape than they were in before they won the lottery. I don't understand it. You win all these millions of dollars, and doesn't it make sense? You take 90% of this money, and you put it somewhere in which it will gain interest, and you live off the interest for the rest of your life. Doesn't that make any sense? But nobody does it. They get all this money, millions of dollars, millions and millions of dollars, and they go crazy. And while they go crazy, they're buying stuff they don't need and all this stuff that's going on with And why are they, while they're doing this, they're actually destroying themselves. This is what the study showed. Did you know that everyone within five to ten years were divorced? You see these families up there, they got big smiles on their faces, and they're so happy, and it's so wonderful, and they're hugging each other. And between five to ten years later, they're all divorced because of the money. And some are dead. I'm not kidding. Some are murdered because of the money. And some, because of the money, get so bored with life because they can have anything they want and they start getting on drugs and they get hooked and they overdose and they're dead. And they have no friends anymore. All their family members, all, their, all of them are trying to get their slice of the pie and it's never enough. And it's coming at them all the time. I need more money from you. I need more money from you. And people contact them from every organization. And the only ones that are friends of theirs now are people that want money. 
100% of the people that won the lottery said in this study that their quotient of happiness has decreased since they won. And they wish they would have never won the money. Yes. Yes. So here, I know what you're saying. I know what you're thinking right now. You're saying, but God, give me a shot at this. I think I could really, I think I could really do it better. I know you are, I, there's sinners all over this church. I know that's what you're thinking. But I'm going to tell you, it wouldn't happen any different. And here's what you ought to do. You ought to go home this afternoon, and while you're taking, laying down taking a nap before you go to sleep, you need to say, oh, God, thank you for not letting me win all those millions of dollars. <laughs> we need to thank God for every raise and every promotion that he gives us, but also thank him for every raise and promotion he withholds. We need to trust God that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he is there for us. And when he withholds, it's not that we got gypped. We've got a God who's taking care of us. And sometimes the best thing can happen to us is not to get more money. And put it all together, and here it is. If you're going through tough financial times, it can be a great benefit to you if you will let it be. The second principle is this. God also has a distinct plan for us in our times of prosperity. James 1.10, and those who are rich should be glad, for God has humbled them humbled them. So what does he mean by that? In times of prosperity, there are two huge temptations in our life. The first problem of prosperity is self-sufficiency. It's self-sufficiency. And Moses warned against this. He said in Deuteronomy 8 verse 11, beware lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commands and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today, lest when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart becomes proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He is saying sometimes when we get in that spot, which we have more than we need, we forget where we came from. And we forget that all of this has come by the hand of God. And so right now, there are some who are thinking this, <clears throat> uh-uh, you're wrong again, Pastor. There's some of these things you're wrong about today. You're wrong again. No, I have the money I have because I am so talented. I am so wise. I can make such great decisions. You have no idea what a talented business person I am. You have no idea the drive I have, the energy that I have. I, it is ama- I am amazing. I am amazing even to my own self. I am that amazing. But 1 Samuel 2.7 says the Lord makes rich. There is no such thing as a self-made man. There's no such thing as a self-made woman. All that talent you have, all that business skill you have, all that drive you have, all of that ability you have, you got all that from God. He's the one that put that in you. And all the opportunities you've gotten, you got that from God. You have been blessed by God. It's not you. It's God 
who has done this. And this is what James chapter 1, verse 10 is saying when he says, and those who are rich should be glad for God has humbled them. To realize it's not them, it's God. The wise person realizes that all the money and all the accomplishments can vanish in a second. Wise people switch their attention from a love of things to a gratefulness to God who gave them. And that is what God is wanting to teach us in this moment in our life. Thank me. Don't forget where you came from. Look how I have blessed you. The second problem of prosperity is that we tend to become self-centered. The more we have, the temptation is only to focus on our wants and our goals, and there's no end to them. As soon as we get them accomplished, we got new goals and new things and new stuff that we want. And, and then what do we do? We get them and we put them in closets and put them in storage places and we keep doing it. Let's stop doing this. If we aren't careful, all those things can be, called, can be totally self-centered. The more we have, the more we want for ourselves. Part of God's goal in our time of prosperity is that we become more others-centered. This is why the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, let him that stole still no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needs. What is God saying? Here's what God is saying. I have blessed you. I have given so much to you. I've given to you more than you need. And I've given to you more than you need so that you will have a little extra left over that you can give to somebody else who's struggling. I've intended, I've given you this money so that you can give to another person in need. Who do you know who's in need? Who do you know is struggling? God has given to us all that he's given to us, not so that we can lavish more and more and more on ourselves, but that we would have all that we need and even more and have some to give to somebody else who doesn't have enough. And the moment you give to that person, they will be thanking God for the miraculous provision God made for them. And you will be a part of that miracle. God is telling us that we can get excited about our financially good times when we realize that they are pointing us to God, not ourselves, and they are giving us an opportunity to be more generous to others who are hurting and struggling financially. Now, let's bring it to an end. James chapter 1, verse 10 and 11 says, And they will fade away like a flower in the field, and the hot sun rises and dries up the grass, and the flower withers, and its beauty fades away. So also wealthy people will fade away in all their achievements. And by the way, it's not just wealthy people that will. It's all of us. All of us have a short time to live. All of us it comes and goes way faster than we imagined. And during this life, during our time on this earth, 
We have the opportunity to grow and mature, and it's God, it's funds, it's, it's money that God is using to do it. He has time, gives us times in which we struggle so we can learn to trust Him. We can learn to obey Him more closely. All these things, learn to be appreciative of what we have. And He gives us sometimes of more than we need so that we can give to somebody else in need. All these things God is wanting to do during the time that we have on this earth. And it's all the time that we have to do these good things. 1 Timothy 6-7 says we brought nothing to the world and we can't take anything out. So while we are on this planet, in the times of plenty, in the time of life, God is using these moments in our life to get us ready for heaven, to grow us and mature us. All of life is about getting us ready for heaven. So how are you doing with that? How are you doing with the trust in God? How are you doing with the contentment? How are you doing with finding somebody that has a need and giving out of your abundance? How are you doing with that? God says, this, this is my plan for money. And I can change it all for good in your life if you'll be willing to obey me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. You're amazing. Your word is so practical and so needed. And God, we come to you today and we acknowledge, Lord, I've got more to learn. I've got more to grow in. And God, I want to be found faithful with the money that you give me. I want to be found faithful during the hard times. I want to be found faithful during the plentiful times. And I want you to use me, God. God, protect me from becoming self-centered and all about me. And God, protect me from becoming angry and bitter when I'm hurting financially because this is a good moment to see you work. Father, move in hearts. I pray that many on all of our campuses today that many would come to know Jesus as Savior. How we need you in our lives. We need you to be the power of our lives. And God, I pray that many would join this church. They're here. They don't know they know Christ as Savior, but they're not a member of this church. And there's a sense in their heart, this place just feels like home. And today, God, show them that it is to be their home, that they come and join this church. Now, God, move in our hearts and use this passage and all your word we've looked at today to bear fruit for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.